Well, good morning. I know, I know it's been raining. Every time we try to plan something outside, it rains. And so I think that's just the way it works. So if we want some rain, just, just tell us. We'll plan an outside event for you and bring the rain. But if you have anything in the ground that's been planted or flowers or tomato plants, they're getting plenty of water right now. So we praise the Lord for that. Uh, this morning, we conclude our vision series Um, looking at the last part of our purpose statement. So what we have uh, sought to do is to lay a biblical foundation. We we started with Acts 2, looking at what the first church looked like, and then we worked our way through the five solas, looking at our non-negotiables as a church, and then we begin to cast a vision uh, and and so our purpose statement is, or any church's purpose statement, is how you know where they intend to go, where they intend to take you. And if they don't have one, where are they going to take you? Well, who knows? Whoever the preacher is is where they're going to take you. That's a purpose statement for, listen, for anything, <laughs> for anything you want to accomplish is, is important. So we said that glorifying God as a church looks like three particular things. It's, it's how we are going to worship collectively and individually. It's, it's how we're going to grow in biblical community together. And it's how we're going to go with the gospel to reach all peoples. This past uh, week, I think, weeks, weeks sort of run together sometimes, I was asked to do a celebration, a life service for a friend I didn't know this particular person that had passed away, uh, but I knew some of the family. And so when I was meeting with the family, as pastors normally do, they handed me a book. And you're probably familiar with this kind of book. It's, a, it's called a legacy book. It's a legacy for my children. And it basically leads that person when they're alive, and it asks them a whole bunch of questions about the past, and about their present, about all kinds of things. And, and one thing the book is incredibly clear on is the person's relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was, I was very grateful to have that, to be able to see the, the content of this person's character, but also their reality of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And what a fitting, it, it made me just think, we all have a start date and we all have a going home date. And and we don't know when that going home date is. We have the, the, the between. There's a lot of illustrations that help us remember that we are living in that between moment. But it is a good question to say, what legacy will you leave after you go home? And, and to some degree, if you find your place in the Bible of Acts 1-8, that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing what Jesus' legacy was going to be to his disciples And it was a very distinct thing. It was a call to make disciples of all peoples. That was the last thing he said before he ascended. Now don't misunderstand me, just listen to this quote. The risen king's ministry continues because the king is not dead. It continues because we have His Spirit and His Word. It continues because the kingdom of God is here and is still advancing through, through His Spirit-empowered witness. And so, if you've got your Bibles with you, Acts 
Let's stand to our feet in reverence of God's word. We are going to read this, talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to look at our own vision as a church. Acts 1.8, Jesus promised us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray again together. Lord, uh, as we've gathered here today, Lord, help us, Lord. We are mind and body and soul and emotions. And, Lord, when it rains, we get a little sleepy and sometimes a little gloomy. Lord, this is important. This, this gets to the very purpose of who we are. So, Lord, wake us up. May, the, may your light of your sun shine just like it was sunny inside this room today. Fill us with your spirit in our minds and our wills, our emotions, and every, every nook and cranny of our bodies, Lord, so that we can love you, enjoy you, serve you, and enjoy you now and forever. Uh, teach us not only who we are. Teach us where we're going. Give us a purpose that you've clearly defined here. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context here a little bit. Um, was just prior to Jesus' ascension. And if you know anything about Jesus' work and discipleship with his disciples, they were expecting, as all, all Jewish people were, for the Messiah to come. They still expect that. And, and, and just overturn everything. Set up his kingdom. Remove the people that were enslaving them. The disciples had that expectation. Um, even after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were expecting it to come quickly. So Jesus is correcting their misplaced expectations. We all have plenty of those to go around. And he's doing that by giving them this God-sized mission that they were going, he was going to use them to reach the world for the gospel. But think for a moment. Now, this is where the, God's Word worked on the preacher this morning before I even got to the vision part. Um, think about this morning. What were the disciples concerned about? Look with me at verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples, Lord, were you at this time Restore the kingdom to Israel. Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So, so here's the question I ask myself. Would I rather worry about my or others? Either one. You can do either one. Would I rather worry about my future or worry about others' future or get about my father's business? Now, we've all sat somewhere. Y'all know my story. We've all sat in a doctor's office and heard a report that we didn't want to hear about us or somebody we love. We've got things going on in our life right now. Then we're looking and saying, Lord, when is that going to be over? When is the hard going to do? When is this season going to be over? I'm sick of it. If you only told me how long I could be able to get to it. 
I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I heard it this week. Just had to say, yes, sir. The future is none of your business. So get about your father's business. That's what Jesus said right before he left. The future ain't none of your business. I'm not going to tell you how long. You need to trust me, and you need to get about what your father has told you to do. So we say, yes, sir, and we say, okay, what does it mean to go? What does it mean to go? Well, look, let's look at Acts 1.8. We know the parallel here is Matthew 28.18 to 20. It says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first point here is that we must go. That's, that's the call. That's the command. It, we, we call it here neighbors and nations. Neighbors and nations. We've got, all got a call to, to go both. We go ourselves. We send others. One guy said, either way, there's going to be scars on our hands from holding the rope. We go down into the well, we hold it so other people can go down in the well. Either one. But this is what was interesting, and I didn't notice this till this week. The Great Commission is a table of contents for the book of Acts. So if you then listen to this, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to go. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. In Acts, Acts chapter 1 to 7, the, the gospel spreads to Jerusalem. In chapters 8 to 12, it spreads in Judea and Samaria. In chapters 13 to 20, it spreads to the ends of the earth, to Asia and Greece. And in chapters 21 to 28, he goes to Rome. Remember, Paul's in Rome. When he gets there, he's a prisoner. Church is already there. The gospel's going forth, and we've already seen this. Matter of fact, we kept, if we kept studying Acts, we would see it. God-driven, sometimes through persecution. He scatters His people. Sometimes God just deploys us, right? In things that we wouldn't even want to happen to us. But just think about the life of Paul. This was gospel intentional mission. This was sending, establishing, strengthening, supporting the church. Over and over and over again, if we read the book of Acts, we see this. He goes, he establishes, he strengthens, and then he supports the church. Church is working together. Uh, Tony Marita. The apostles certainly led the church, but the gospel advanced largely through the words and deeds of unordained and uneducated people, informal missionaries. The church today, in fact, desperately needs to recover this practice. We all must go. We all must go. But we go with spirit-filled power. This is the promise. Matter of fact, this has got a real unique way in the way that he said this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. This is, has a future tense, but also an imperative. You could take out the word will and put the word must. 
But you must receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you must be my witnesses. That's the sense of this passage. A sense of command and a sense of urgency. But you remember how important it was. And don't you do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. I love this passage, Luke 24, 49. I just spent a lot of time thinking about what this means. It says, Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I just specifically said, clothed with power from on high. So don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes, until He clothes you, He covers you. That's what that means, to dress, to put on, to, to wrap in a covering. The Holy Spirit does the equipping, it does the covering, it does the empowering, and it does it, listen, to ordinary folks, to ordinary people. That's who they were. They were nothing extraordinary. Don't, don't their lives and all their questions and their cluelessness, Jesus' whole ministry proved that they were ordinary. They had expectations. Not all of them were good. But yet, the Lord took them through a process, spent their lives with them. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, starting at verse 4 and 5. It says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Where, where the redeemed are is where the Spirit is. And where the Spirit is, there is power to do what He has called us to do. And what we are called to do is to be a witness. The Spirit's power is given to us for a purpose. To be a witness to Him. Now, now they were eyewitnesses. But we are a witness. We are a witness to the gospel. We are a witness to the life-changing work that He has done inside of, of us. But we go with the power. But listen, I'm going to make this point here in a minute. This is work. The Spirit gives us the power to work. But we work. He gives us the power. He gives us the grace. He gives us the ability. He, in other words, think about it this way. What, what scripture are you putting inside of you that the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of when you need it? You put nothing in? Don't expect us, the Holy Spirit to drop it in by osmosis like, like sometimes we study for our school. It doesn't work that way in school. It's not just, oh, yeah, I remember that, that question that I didn't study for. It doesn't work that way. Not unless you cheat. No cheating here. The, the less Jesus, this is a quote, the less Jesus is the core of witness, the less power we'll have. So, but flip that to the positive. The more Jesus is the core of our witness, the more power we'll have. This is why we get to the gospel, because your story is not the gospel. Your story is a bridge to the gospel. And if we just tell people something because we want to talk, talk about ourselves, don't expect the Holy Spirit to empower that. 
three enemies we need to guard ourselves from here. And I'm taking a chance that you're going to get mad at me at any point in one of these, but it's okay because we need to pull some tension here. Just listen to the pastor's everything here. If this is not biblical, spit it out. The enemy of comfortable Christianity. The idea, and listen, this can happen during times of suffering, but it's especially prone to when we're not being suffering, when we're not being persecuted. The church in the West has by and large been very comfortable. And, and so what we do is we, is we just get idle. Or we'll just, you know, I, I'll sit my money over to let those people over there do the witnessing. Uh, I'm here to make the money, to enjoy my family. In other words, we can get, we can get spiritual lazy, embracing a form of comfortable Christianity that is completely absent in the Bible, relishing in good things like jobs and family and homes, thinking we can sort of circle the wagons as a church until Jesus comes back. That's the first sign of death, by the way, the circle of the wagons. Even in times of suffering, you can just embrace a survival cinema. Just, sometimes I think there's some types of music, not going to pick on any. They're always talking about going home, but they're never talking about mission. The enemy of comfortable Christianity. There is another enemy. And this one got right up in the disciples' business. It's the enemy of a political Jesus. Now, here's the one you might get mad at me for. But listen to everything that I'm going to say. I think we need to hear it. This one was big for the disciples. This is the temptation to think that we are going to accomplish the Lord's work in the world's way. We are to establish the kingdom of God politically. By laws or just by getting Christians into high positions of government and imposing our vision of society on the world from the outside in. There's a place for pursuing good government. If God gives you the call, you should, you should go towards that for the glory of God. Christians should speak their beliefs in the public square by any means necessary. But if you think you can simply impose the Christian worldview on somebody from the outside in and see society change, you're naive. That is not what God is calling us to do. There is not going to be any moral reform from a political strong-arm lobbyist on Capitol Hill. The only way that we will see this country change is through the power of the Holy Spirit being taken with the gospel whereby He changes from the inside out those who are being saved. That's the only way. And everywhere else in the world that the country begins to change, it happens because its people prioritize the mission and prioritize the gospel. It only flows from the inside out because the Spirit works that way. There's another enemy and it is the enemy of a fearful Christianity. It's the fear of or the fear if. This is the one that always comes up when you speak of sharing your faith. What if I do it wrong? I used to believe that this, that is it my fault if they reject it and then, then go out and go to hell? 
is it Stephen's fault because I, I did it wrong? Listen, no one is hell. No one is in hell today because of someone's poor gospel presentation. They're already going to hell, brothers and sisters. You hear me? They're already going. That's the urgency. There's a fear of, there's a fear if, but what if they reject me? This is a little bit more of a selfish reason, but it's an understandable, especially when they're family, especially when you got a long you know, friendship of someone who is lost and you're sitting there going, if I take them to coffee and I say, we've been, we've been friends for a long time, I've just got this, I just got to, I just got to talk to you about this thing. Wonder if you never, that ruins the friendship. It's fear, isn't it? No one's in heaven a little ticked off because you put their friend, your friendship on the line to share the gospel with them. So, the mandate is clear, isn't it, in Scripture? Go to be a witness. The question is, how will Battleground Community Church go? How will we go? Now, I'll introduce this. You can expect to see a little nice little graphic that we're in the process of building, but... You know, I can draw things on a piece of paper. I'm not the graphics guy. I get, I get my brother Micah to, to do his magic and help me. But what I want to do this morning is that we've introduced this funnel to say that we must get people to a particular direction. What I want you to do, want to see today is I want to give you a strategy that we're going to, that we're going to show as a church of how we work people from the top of the funnel down. We're going to use this, different words, same process as leadership, and I want you to see it this morning. And so I'm going to use this, put this in your mind. I'm going to have it up here, and then probably we'll refer to it. I, I can't, it won't sit like this, so i got to turn my funnel upside down, but please, spiritually speaking, I know, I know. I should have brought a little piece of wood with a hole in it. should have fixed it. I'm wishing I would have done that now. It's too late, and... Uh, but whatever you do, don't turn your funnel upside down. If, if you don't know what I mean, listen to an old sermon. How do we do that? Six steps. Six steps that we're going to look at in our funnel to get people to... You remember what the bottom of the funnel was? Maturity in Christ. To get them there. Now, with anything, when we say steps or processes... You're sitting there going, well, hold on a second, it doesn't, can't this step happen before that step? These things should, must happen to get people to maturity in Christ. Some steps you fly through. Sometimes you may do one thing and find out they're already a believer. What's next? You've got to know what's next. If they're a believer, what's next? If they're not a believer, what do I need to do? So let's look at them. The first step is we need to embrace the missional work, I mean the relational work. So there are six missional steps. The first is the top of the funnel. It's your largest part. It is we must embrace relational work. This is building relationships with people in your everyday. We call this great commission work. I mean great commandment work. Great commandment work. This is just how we love other people. This is lunch, coffee, this is opening up your homes. This is working consistently and intentionally with people in your everyday. This is why we call them top of the funnel working. It's top of the funnel. There should be, and there is, whether you realize it or not, you may not be using it, plenty of people that should be in the top of your funnel. 
Whatever you do, wherever you volunteer, wherever you go to school, wherever you work out, or anywhere you shop, any, whatever it is, everybody in school that you put in your circle, where you sit with at the lunch table, those people are potentially top of the funnel people for you. That you are building relationships with them for a purpose. This is, this is us as a church loving our city well. This is us getting into our schools. This is the rescue mission work with our homeless community. We're building relationships. That feeding that we do sometimes on Fridays and Saturdays. That, that when we go in there and we, we do Bible studies and worship with them some. We're, we're building. We're not just giving them food. We're building relationships. This is this vesting that we have to do in the lives of people so that we may invest the gospel to them. We must build trust first. This is top funnel work. And this is work. That's why we're calling it work. But it flows toward a purpose. And what it flows toward next is intentional evangelism. So our funnel goes from relational work to get to the gospel. A little bit further down in the funnel. Get to the gospel. Intentional evangelism. This is evangelism on purpose. This is not, this is not just letting your life share the gospel. No, the gospel requires us to use words. When we build relationships, we must have a witness. Our, God, our life must be consistent with the gospel that we declare. But we must declare the gospel. It's sharing life so that we might share the gospel. So the best way for someone to learn how to share the gospel is how. Yeah. What's the best way to learn how to play a guitar? Hmm? Practice. You gotta, yeah, you've got to get some knowledge there. But more, more importantly, and this is so important, and this is why the whole funnel is connected together. It, I, can, I can look on YouTube, but man, it makes a difference if I can say, Stephen or Mike, could you sit down with me and just show me a few things? I, I, I've been reading in the book, but can you show me? And then i got to be willing to do, to do it over and over. Anyway, that's why i got a lot of people in my funnel. Not everybody's going to work down to this point. Sometimes they're going to, they're going to, or even in sharing the gospel, they're going to jump out of the funnel. That's not on you. Who jumps, who stays in the funnel and who jumps out of the funnel, it's not on you. It's not your choice. I know you wish you could. I do too. I got people who jump, keeps jumping out and I just keep starting over. Aggravating. Yes, it is. Doesn't matter. That's the work. The future Theirs and yours. It's none of our business. We, we work people through the strategy. A little, bit of, a little bit of reality here. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Wow. That's good, isn't it? That's reality. You said, going, this sounds hard. It is hard. 
That's why we need the Spirit's power. That's why we need places like worship, collective worship. We can come in here and rest, get equipped, comfort each other. We must, we must embrace the relational work. We must embrace the intentional evangelism. But we also must embrace getting these people or ourselves, whichever this is talking about, into a new life with a new people. So we share the gospel with the prayer that God, that through this power of the Spirit, is going to bring new life. And those He brings to new life, we plug in with the new people, with the very people of God. That's critical. And, and so here's what we do. We meet somebody at the top of the funnel, and we just say, I need to get them in church as soon as possible so the pastor can do it. Is that what we're saying? No. We're saying you're called to do it. We're called to equip. You're called to do it. Top funnel, intentional evangelism. Now we plug them into the new life. Micah's read this. Let's read it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to, 17 to 21. Notice how close new life is. To, re- to being a minister and being a missionary or being a minister of reconciliation. Notice how close it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but all the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore on your behalf, Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. New life. This is why a new life comes with a new community, a new group of people that you plug your life into. Think about this. Could have read anywhere. Just let me read this to you. Listen for a second. This is why my point is this. Meaningful church membership matters. Church membership matters in Scripture. The New Testament makes no sense without this. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. <laughs> but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, they would, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head can, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less are honorable, we bestow the great honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, 
all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, brothers and sisters, you tell me how that verse makes any sense without church membership. It makes no sense. You've got a passage in the Bible with absolutely nowhere to hang it unless it's important for us to be part of a local church so that we can be connected together in biblical community because what I do affects Miss Ricky. What Miss Ricky does affects Mr. Mike. We work together. We don't have the same abilities nor the same callings. We need each other. And one reason why we plug people into a, into a new community is so that they can learn new habits and new patterns of life. This is this growing in sanctification, this putting on and putting off. We must then, as we work down the funnel, now we're mid-funnel now, equipping and serving, equipping and serving. Uh, by the time they get down to here, is the truth that most people jump out of the funnel by the end? Absolutely. That's reality. They're, again, not on us. But if someone get, comes to new life in Christ, we plug them into the community of the local church where they begin to practice their worship becomes, becomes consistent. They're coming, coming here on Sundays to worship with each other consistently. They're plugging into biblical community consistently. And what we seek to do through that is equip them and begin to give them a place of service, somewhere to serve. That is important. The things of God now are becoming a more concentrated. There is a scripture saturation that is intentional that's beginning to happen in their life. Psalms 1.1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On this law he meditates day and night, and he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Another illustration, same point. We're working people to be equipped. We should help people in, to find areas of practical service. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, some, as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more you see the day. We grow in extravagant generosity. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to, to do good and share what you have for such pleasing, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, I just need to deal with something. Okay, so give me an ear for a minute. Now, if, you're, if you got really gray on the roof or maybe no hair at all, this may not be a struggle with you. Maybe it is. But it's a, it's a lie that's being believed by sometimes a younger group of people that says, since I give my time, I don't have to give my finances. I mean, I, I volunteer. I, I serve faithfully. Gospel generosity is an all-inclusive, joy-motivated reality for the redeemed. And it always what you take joy in, what you enjoy, what is purposeful, passionate for you in your life. You know this is true. It always touches your finances. The cost of stinginess is the mission of God. Do you hear me? The cost of stinginess. 
is the mission of God. I don't give you a percent. I say, based off what the gospel has done in your life, so give. That's, see, that's an issue of maturity. We equip people. You know, they begin to serve. But what we want them to see through this whole thing is they must embrace not only being a disciple, but making disciples. So we go out to make disciples, Matthew 28. And now when they get down to this, we're trying to get them from the, even from the very beginning. That's why this is not just steps. This is sort of an all-inclusive thing. But we've got to look at it some way to understand the strategy. We want people to begin to simply teach what they have been taught. Everyone, that's the faith, we've heard this before, everyone teach one. Go help, that's what discipleship is, go help people follow Jesus. Go help people follow Jesus. person is maturing, but see, this is what their, their desire is. As a person matures, they get this hunger as a little child's hungry, but as they mature, they begin to desire to reproduce that. They become, as it were, spiritual parents to someone else. They go from being dependent to wanting now to reproduce themselves, what they are in Christ. They begin to teach it to other people. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who is able to teach others also. So Paul said, I teach you, you teach other people, they teach other people. That's the way it works. That's the way it multiplies. So we embrace relational work to get people to intentional evangelism. We plug them in when Christ saves them into a new life in the body of Christ where they begin to worship with us and, and then plug into to our biblical community so that they may grow because it is there, those two places where they are equipped for service. And then we deploy them for service. And then they begin to help other people follow Christ. That's the funnel. This leads naturally to wanting to be more strategic. They begin naturally when you get to this place of maturity. You begin to ask more more big questions. So this leads to both going and sending. Going and sending. That's the bottom of the funnel. How can we go? Right? That's the question people ask. Where are we going? How, how can we go? How can we, how can we do this? They're thinking about these things. They're, they're wanting to know, how can I reorient ourselves? My, my, you see how finances can't, is not outside of this. I got because I'm going to have to reorient my finances if I'm going to be able to go, right? Because going wasn't in the realm of radar, and now it is, and so now this becomes actually part of my budget. Our battleground community church filter for our leadership here, just just so you know, is that we seek to to go places where we can strengthen and see this church established and then strengthen the local church, wherever it is, locally, globally. Sending, establishing, strengthening, and supporting. This is why we joined the Pillar Church Network, too. And some of you have heard that. Some of you haven't. You can look them up online. It, we did that so that we can grow like-minded partnerships for the future, both locally and globally. 
if, if, if we can build partnerships with other like-minded churches, we can do things with planting, replanting, and revitalizing other churches that we would not be able to do any other way. We joined together with other like-minded churches. We were able just last week to help a pastor named John Maiden from Midwood Baptist in Midway Baptist. Midway, get that right. Yeah, Midway Baptist in Charlotte. What we did is we were able to partner with a whole bunch of other pillar churches to help him with his salary. Not doing it all. We're just doing our little part. But we're doing it together with other like-minded churches. This is the work that's in front of us. The more we work together, the more kingdom work we could do. Globally, we seek to find missionaries that are starting churches or that have started churches and strengthen them. We do this through not only the Pillar Network, but also our local sending missionary agency called the IMB. We're, a, we're an SBC church because we have the greatest sending agency in the world. That's just the fact. So we'd love to be a part of that. Who can we send? Who can we support? These are the questions that we must begin to ask at the bottom of the funnel. We need to support other pastors and other churches. We need to develop them from within, and we are, and we have been. And me and Micah, as I've said before, are products of that. I'm only here because somebody developed and deployed me. So, but do you see the maturity in the question? From how can I grow, which is a good question, amen? How can I grow to how can I help other people go? How can I help other people grow? So here's my question for us today. Where are you at in the funnel? As you think through these points, they're on your paper. Like you say, we'll have a graphic out. It's going to be posted everywhere. We're going to even send it to your house. Where are you in the funnel? But think about this. This is a challenge for our leaders too. Where's our church at in the funnel? Where are we? It's, and just be honest. And here's the, the third question is this. Who's in your funnel? Begin to think, who's there? Where are they in the process? Could be anywhere. That's the mission that's before us. This is the Great Commission. And that's our strategy from work moving people from the moment you meet them in the line at Food Lion to bringing them to a place to where when the Lord says, who will go for us? They will say, here am I, send me. So I just want to give you three goals as we move forward. I'm going to put all these goals down and put them before, get, get them before us and so you can expect to see that too. Three goals. We will build partnerships to revitalize or replant a local church. This is going to involve, involve building partnerships. That's the, that's the relational work, and we're already doing that. With like-minded pastors and planters, then it's going to involve either planting or replanting or revitalizing. I know those words might be new to you. It's okay. I'd love to get coffee and tell you about it. We will go on four trips a year. Two partners, two trips a partner. 
This is a four-year. It's not next week, right? Remember, four-year vision. We want to go. Yes, COVID knocked the wind out of our cell and a lot of other people's cell, but it's time to get back on the horse. Or we're going to use our, our funnel, our filter to say, where, Lord, where do we need to go? I want us to, we want to increase our mission sending budget to 10%. We should be giving at least 2%, if not more, to the cooperative program. We want to see that grow in the future. And so we're putting it down on paper and saying, Lord, help us to grow. Not in just consuming for ourselves, but help us to grow our grow more of the monies that we send out for the sake of the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, for the last eight weeks, we have sought as, as, as best and clearly as I know, as I know how to lay both the foundation of what we believe and the direction we need to head for the next four years. Now, me and Michael are going to put this together, and we're going to put it before you on a regular basis. We're going to ask you to put this on your refrigerator and in your car and places and begin to pray about our goals and begin to practice the strategy in your own life. And we want you to know that as leadership, we are committed to, to practice this strategy about how we develop people and where we go that it be strategic. This is something that we cannot just make plans and go there. We must have the power of the Spirit. We must not waver on this. We must not begin to think, but because we do nice things that makes us feel warm and fuzzy, that that is the gospel mission. The gospel mission is to take the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world. That's the gospel mission, to make disciples out of all peoples, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they do to us because of what God has called us to do so that they may have the joy and the peace that God has given us. Let us embrace this mission together so that when God says to you, and don't be surprised, don't be surprised when you're minding your own business Working your way down your funnel, where you'll hear that voice of God saying, uh, Hey, I want you to go do that. And how, what is our response? Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for having us eight weeks to look at our vision and direction as a church. Lord, we thank you, too, that starting next week, we're going to open up the book of Romans. Just can't wait, God, to see what you have in store for your people through studying this great letter of Paul. But now, God, we as your people long to worship you. And then we long to enjoy each other. We thank you for both that we can do both at the same time. And so, Lord, as we, as we stand to our feet, Lord, we come together as your children first that are not perfect children but sinful children. We are redeemed children, but we, we still sin on a regular, on a daily basis. And so, God, we come before the throne of grace and ask for the blood of Christ to cleanse us from our sins so that we may 
stand and worship you so that we may come to the table to, re- to receive the body and the blood of Christ, this picture that Jesus paid everything to bring us not only into his son, but into a new family that lasts forever. Lord, would we enjoy Christ now as we remember his sacrifice for the redeemed. Lord, would you be glorified as we give? Would you use that so that we may support other pastors Lean in where we need to lean in to love them well, to see their churches flourish in a dry land. So work, Lord. I've given my life to that work, God. This is a, let us put our hands to the plow, God. Because you said you would give us the power. And we believe that you will. You give us the resources that we need, God, to do what you have called us to do. Let us not have any fear of tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Let us do what you've called us to do while it is day. Let us not waste one more second in the fear and anxieties of our yesterdays or our tomorrows, but let us hold fast to your promises because you have promised and you will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen.